Hello everyone and welcome back to George and Mary's American Adventure. Today's podcast covers days 3, 4 and 5 in San Francisco and San Diego. Enjoy! If you're going to San Francisco Be sure to wear some flowers in your hair If you're going to San Francisco You're gonna meet some gentle people there. Day three. We did our own thing for breakfast this morning and I rediscovered the joys of granola cereals. That was around 8.30, but we'd actually woken up at 4am and had an hour's reading before falling off again. We took it real slow this morning and planned to do a lot less walking after yesterday's marathon. So, once we were up and moving, we opted for the city bus tour, just as we've done in umpteen cities over our year of travel. When we headed out, the sun was shining brightly, but this time I hadn't left my hat in San Francisco. It was firmly on my head, although a stiff Pacific breeze was trying hard to change that. After a stop at Walgreens Mini Market for provisions, we returned to Union Square, where we bought our tickets and boarded the big red bus for our tour. At 55 bucks a head, this was dearer than in most places, but there were extra bits we could do if we wanted, including a trip over the Golden Gate Bridge and onto the town of Sausalito. The tour took us almost directly to the South Vista Point, where we got off and waited 20 minutes for a second bus to take us over the Golden Gate. This bus was an older type and downstairs had no windows or walls at the sides, which allowed us to lean out over the rails if we wanted. But we didn't, as it was blowing an absolute gale up there and our body temperature quickly moved from cosy to freezing. But despite the cold, The ride over to the North Vista Point was an exciting experience and the views were quite breathtaking. After a short photo stop at the far end of the bridge, the wee bus took us down through the hills to the cute little town of Sausalito for a half-hour stroll around the shops. Then we were back up the hill again and over the Golden Gate, where we got off and waited for the main bus tour again. The second part of the tour took us through West San Francisco, a mixture of rich and poor districts, the old hippie area from the 60s, the Civic Centre and the downtrodden Tenderloin District. As the bus weaved its way through the streets, we noted two or three things we thought we'd probably like to visit in more detail the following day, maybe after our trip to Alcatraz. The bus made its way back to Union Square to pick up more customers Then it headed out to the coast in Fisherman's Wharf before swinging east and following the Ocean Drive down to Embarcadero Plaza, where it turned again and took us back to Union. In total, the tour lasted about three and a half hours and we thought it was actually well worth the price, to be honest. 
Delighted with our trip, we skipped over to the booking office again to get our tickets for Alcatraz. But you can imagine our disappointment when the very helpful lady couldn't find us a single ticket under $120 each. Even she commented that we'd be mad to pay that kind of price. So, having already seen it up close on the Bay Cruise, we decided to keep our cash and plan something else instead. Before going back to the hotel, we had a coffee in the centre of town and sat at a large window which looked out onto Powell Street. People watching became the name of the game and we saw some classic sights, including a gorgeous gay guy in a copy of our Scots blue suit he'd recently worn to the air races, a lady who was definitely a gentleman, and a completely out of his head guy who stopped long enough to gesture through the, through the glass that he was going to slip my throat. Oh, cheers, pal. Further down the street and almost back at the hotel, I stopped to check out an Indian restaurant where, an hour later, I eventually bought my dinner. Mary had already got herself a salad thing at Walgreens and was quite happy not to share my curry, although the guy gave me three plates, two sets of plastic cutlery, and enough food for both of us and still filled ten baskets with the leftovers. And over our meal, we planned what we're going to do tomorrow. It'll be fun, and it'll involve a bit more walking than today, but still much less than day one. We'll not be doing that again in a hurry, I can tell you. I also got in touch with my cousin Steve, whom we're to be staying with once we've flown down to San Diego in a couple of days' time, and it looks like he's planned a few exciting things for us to do. As I typed up my daily blog post, I noticed it was half past ten and Lady Burton was already sound asleep. My, how things have changed. That's two nights in a row she hasn't even opened a book before the Sandman has firmly closed her eyes. Now that's unheard of. Day four. Our final day in San Francisco was just the way we planned it last night. Quite active, but not manic, seeing stuff on our own and avoiding big groups. Our first destination was Golden Gate Park over on the west side of the peninsula. We'd seen it briefly from the tour bus the day before and had decided it was just a kind of quiet place we needed to start the day. A surprise bit of luck led to us getting a free bus ride when we discovered our one-day bus ticket from yesterday was really a 24-hour ticket and, as we hadn't bought it until nearly midday, we were able to use it again in the morning before it expired to retrace stops 6 to 11 and get to the park for free. It was quite warm when we got off the bus, so I took off my hoodie while Mary rolled up her leather jacket and put it in my rucksack. We decided first of all to check out the Japanese tea garden, which for $15, nine for Lady Burton and six for the Scottish pensioner, offered customers an hour or so in an idyllic setting filled with cute bonsais, 
perfect little bridges, weeping willows aplenty, and the inevitable carp pond. Throw in a couple of pagodas and the compulsory Buddha statue, that waste has got to go. And you can easily imagine how delightful it all was. In truth, it was a lovely way to start the last day in Frisco. Next door to the Japanese tea garden, there was a museum of mechanical machines, which wasn't really our cup of tea, to be honest. But a part of it was a nine-storey viewing platform, which gave us a splendid panorama of the surrounding area. Exercise was next on the cards, the walking kind, I mean. We left the centre of the park and walked along the access road as far as the conservatory, which housed the botanical garden. But you've guessed right, we didn't go into this either, preferring to have our lunch in the warm sunshine on a bench dedicated to a certain John MacDonald. Now, where might he have been from, I wonder? On our way out of the park, we passed a series of statues of people admired by the original owner and creator of the park. Well, what a surprise when we passed a big clump of rhododendrons and discovered none other than our rabbi Burns staring down at us from a pedestal. The sight of the bard there in the San Francisco park filled us with pride and made us feel a long, long way from home. But knowing we had very little time for sentimentality, we just carried on with our walk, making for another venue we'd seen from the tour bus. The area of Haight-Ashbury in San Francisco was the original centre for the Summer of Love in 1967, and it attracted thousands of hippies drawn from all over the world by Timothy Leary's phrase, turn on, tune in and drop out. He'd proclaimed this that year at a happening, as they called it then, in the very park we'd just visited, the Golden Gate Park. Hey, the hippies came, as Scott McKenzie famously sang, with flowers in their hair, and the world sat up and took notice. This area today has made its name by capturing that moment in time and maintaining it right up to the present day. So it was no great surprise to find kaftans galore, headbands, tie-dye shirts and hot pants in abundance in the dozens of retro clothing stores on hate. Jim Henricks, Janis Joplin and Jim Morrison all stayed here for a while, enjoying alternative stimulants, funny fags, and a wee drop of free love. We strolled the main street, taking in the sights, which included a giant pair of nylon-clad legs sticking out of an apartment window, and a huge portrait of Henrik's painted on a gable end. We stopped for a coffee, of course, just off Ashbury, whose, intersec whose intersection with hate gave the district its name. Next, we had to get back downtown to Powell Street. My transport map suggested a number seven bus would do the trick, and yes, it did. On board, we were treated to a young couple having a loud but friendly debate about the merits of voting for Donald Trump and including the many conspiracy theories the young man adhered to. 
theories which convinced him that Trump wanted to start a war to avoid his arraignment. The young woman had views on the opposite side of the spectrum and so naturally sounded a lot more sensible to us than her partner. Their baby, however, managed to sleep through the whole argument. Back at the bottom of Powell, there's the terminus carousel where the cable cars are pushed around in a semicircle to face back up the hill ready for their next journey. We joined the, the long line to get on one of these world famous San Francisco cable cars to take us all the way north again to North Beach and Fisherman's Wharf. When our turn came, after quite a long wait, we found ourselves inside, seated on a bench, which, which was fine, but it's not really how I'd always imagined it to be like. So at the first opportunity, I jumped up and took position standing on the footplate at the side of the car and holding onto a pole for dear life. Ha, ah, that was more like it. A couple of minutes later, Lady Burton plucked up the courage to join me. God, that was fun. I even managed to take some photos on my phone, including 10 seconds of video capturing the journey for posterity. At one point, I had to tell the wee girl standing next to me and screaming continually at the passers-by that I needed her to shut up so she wouldn't spoil my video. It must have been my teacher's voice because she did exactly as he asked and I got my film of the ride. At the end of the line, we walked back down to the wharf area and headed for Pier 39 again. And another chance to see those damned funny sea lions. Mary was particularly delighted with her antics and I had trouble dragging her away to the souvenir shop to get a couple of things for the boys. We then had tea at a place called Hot Spud, which turned out actually much better than it sounds. And then we caught the number eight bus back to town. We almost missed it, however, as we were stupidly waiting on the wrong side of the road. And I had to call over to the driver to please stop. Luckily for us, he waited and let us on. I started to explain where we wanted to go and that I was a senior and how much would that be and could I have change of a 20? This was obviously too much for him as he just shook his head told us to grab a seat for God's sake, and we travelled back to town for free. What a bonus! Well, that's it. San Francisco, your box has been ticked. It's been good here, and at times very good. The citizens are polite, friendly and helpful. The shopkeepers provide excellent service and the transport workers have an outrageously good sense of humour. For instance, on the tour bus this morning, a rather stout German lady got on and asked the driver somewhat grumpily if there were seats upstairs because if there weren't, she would just get off and wait for the next bus. Well, the driver didn't flinch, looked her straight in the eye and said she would have to go upstairs and see for herself as his X-ray vision didn't seem to be working that morning. <laughs> what a class response. Well, tomorrow morning we fly down to San Diego, hire a car and drive up to Steve Kashani's house in San Marcos. 
and then it gets a wee bit exciting. Day 5 We left San Francisco this morning, what seemed like just a few minutes after we'd arrived. As always seems to be the case, time speeds up when you're having fun, and the good times flash by before you've had the chance to appreciate them. For us, on this last morning, it was a quick breakfast and check out from the hotel, then a 200 metre walk to the BART station, and the train to San Francisco Airport. We'd bought our tickets the previous evening, so we experienced no delay or hassle whatsoever, meaning that we reached the airport relatively stress-free. But stress was only having a tea break. As soon as we got to the baggage drop, the mirror began to crack. On a free set of scales, we'd checked the big suitcase, which came in at £48, with a limit of 50 But when we gave it to the official for check-in, his scales miraculously announced £53. Overweight meant dollars. 100 to be precise. OK, we'll take something out, I suggested. Mary's makeup cases and her leather jacket, plus a knitted top, came out and the reway took it to £48 again. Fine. Wait a minute, sir. Can I put the, the top and the jacket back in? Yes, sir, you surely can. But now the scale showed £50.5. Oh, no. It's still overweight. The guy looked at me. I looked at him with my big, helpless eyes. He tried to resist. But eventually my petted lip got the better of him, and he checked the suitcase in. Good man. Next stop was security, and our hearts sank when we saw the queues. They snaked around the zigzags for miles. In fairness, the line moved quite quickly, and we passed through passport ID control and onto a new zigzag queue where we emptied our luggage of digital devices then removed our shoes and belts and jackets and money and specs and underwear. Nah, <laughs> I'm only joking about the underwear. We passed through the scanners and then put everything back again. Once at the departure gate, we even got rid of our carry-on luggage when they asked for volunteers to put such luggage in the hold at no charge. The 90-minute flight itself was excellent and we were soon reclaiming everything at San Diego Airport, surprisingly not from a standard baggage carousel, but just from a, a humble trolley. Now it was time to get the car. To do that, we had to make a 10-minute journey on a special shuttle bus, which took us to a car rental area at the other end of the airport. We got the car, not a Chevrolet as I'd hoped, but a Kia Forte a model we don't have in Europe. Suspiciously, I had to pay an unexpected $80 for some extra insurance neither of us quite understood, and we were then able to hit the streets of San Diego. 
being in America, the car was, of course, left-hand drive and had an automatic gearbox. But I quickly got the hang of things and was soon heading up the Interstate 5 towards San Marcos, where my cousin lives. Thanks to Mary's iPhone and my somewhat cautious driving, we found the address easily enough and met the members of our family. Steve is the eldest son of the late family hero, Joe Kashani and was born in Edinburgh. Kathy, a native of California, is his second wife, and they have a lovely seven-year-old daughter called Julia. We were made to feel very welcome, and we settled in just fine. At about five that evening, we all got into Steve's car, and he drove us up to Los Angeles, and specifically to the StubHub Stadium, where we were to have hospitality at the soccer game between the LA Galaxy and the New York Red Bulls. This was made possible because Cousin Steve is an agent for sports and TV personalities and knows absolutely everybody in the sporting world on the West Coast. Besides folk like Andy Gray and Richard Keyes, whose sexist comments got them the sack from Sky Sports, his contacts include one of the top executives at LA Galaxy, a guy called Jovan Karovsky, who incidentally won a Champions League winner's medal with Borussia Dortmund in 1997, although he was in the squad but didn't actually play in the final. This guy provided the tickets for a table, drinks and a superb buffet meal while we watched the game from high behind one of the goals. Honestly, I was in a dream world. The whole thing was pretty much beyond our wildest dreams, and we had a wonderful time, even though Galaxy lost by 3-2. to two. The legendary Slatan Ibrahimovic did score an equaliser, but the stupid referee ruled him offside when we were, we were all convinced he wasn't. Playing at left-back for the Galaxy that evening was Ashley Cole, former Eng England international and ex-hubby of the lovely Cheryl Cole of Girls Aloud. This may sound a bit naff, but Biology by Girls Aloud is one of my favourite songs, mainly because I think it's damn cleverly put together and sounds like three songs all rolled into one. At the end of the game, Steve drove us back to their house in San Marcos, where we shared a couple of wines before bedtime. It had been a really long day, but I managed to reminisce with him until two in the morning, by, by which time we had seriously put the world to right. After such a brilliantly exciting evening, Mary and I both felt we had to pinch ourselves again to double-check that we weren't dreaming all of this. The good news was, we weren't. Well, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed days three, four, and five of our American adventure. I'll be back soon with some more California dreaming. But until then, stay safe and keep smiling. Bye.